As Anthony mentioned, last week we started a, a brand new sermon series on the Christian story. And he went through a summary of what the Christian story was last week, starting with creation, fall, redemption, and then restoration or consummation. And uh, he spent particular time on the resurrection as being the most important chapter in all of that story. So this morning, we're actually going to begin to look at the story uh, from the very beginning to put us into context. And that context has to do with meaning. Because we ask the question, who are we? Why are we here? So many of the times when we face our own mortality or we face the mortality of others, we ask the question, what is the meaning of life? What is it all about? Maybe all the lights are out. We're sitting quietly somewhere. Our phone is off. Uh, we have no, no distractions left for us. And those questions come to our minds and our hearts. What is life all about? Is it really worth living? We all want to know why. I, I don't promote this way of finding out the answers to your deepest questions, but I googled um, the question, we all want to know, the question, what is life all about? And not just for me, but for the world. And this is the answer that I got on a blog that came up. It says, all forms of life have one essential purpose, survival. And I thought, boy, that's setting the bar low, just to survive. Uh, the blog goes on and says, the confusion with respect to the purpose of life shows up when we consider amazing diversity of life forms. Given such richness and creativity, it's hard to accept that all of this is just the result of a purposeless accident. And I thought at that point he was on to something. And here we go to talk about the fact that it is purposeless unless there is a God who has made us and given us a purpose. But instead, he went in another direction. He says, the lesson of life is simple. In nature, creation and destruction dance together. But in this choreography, there is no choreographer. Yeah, that's pretty hard, isn't it? We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. We all long for meaning and significance. We all operate as if there is a purpose. Even those who claim there is no God, and there's a whole group of writers in the recent years that have been writing, evangelistically writing all these books telling us that there is no purpose in life, Ironically, they find their purpose in trying to convince people that there is no purpose in life because we can't live without purpose in our lives. We yearn for meaning. And when there is no purpose, we lose motivation. Life becomes burdensome. To understand life, mine and yours, to understand if they mean anything, we need to go back to the beginning. And that's where the Bible starts. The Bible tells us there is something, someone, already present at the beginning. In the beginning, God. The only being who always was, who always is, who always will be. Outside of creation, outside of space and time. In the polytheistic world in which Moses communicated these words to the Hebrews after they had come out of Egypt, they had just experienced all these gods in Egypt. And the gods of those people in that time were 
things that were created, things like the sun and the moon and other characters that had all these bad characteristics and good characteristics. They would fight against one another. They were more like Marvel superheroes and villains than they are God as we understand in the scriptures. We we struggle to understand how God can exist out of space and time, but that's simply because we only live in space and time ourselves. The secular worldview of our day proposes there is nothing beyond this world, or if there is, it's irrelevant to life. And that's a faith statement, really, that they make, based on nothing, based on nothing more than our human senses. They reduce the world to measurements and molecules and nothing more. But we know that there's far more. There are ideas, there's beauty, there's art. There are all these things that we value beyond the molecules that there are. Uniquely, the scriptures say that there is only one eternal Almighty God, sovereign creator and ruler over all things, who brings all things into being and ordered the processes of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that could be seen and sensed. And you can imagine the Hebrews as they were lying there in the desert, looking up at the multitude of the Milky Way stars that were there and imagining what that was all about. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. At one point, there was no matter. And then at God's word, there was matter. Out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Only God can do this. We can take the elements that God has and we can combine them in different ways, in creative ways, but only God makes things out of nothing. The story goes on. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So God created not only the raw material for creation, he orders it, he designs it. There's order and diversity. The word universe means one, so there is one creation, but full of diversity. The verse talks about diversity, one and many. And there's intention behind it. There's purpose for the creation. It's a place of worship. It's a temple. It evokes awe and wonder as we look at it. Just look at your Windows 10 uh, computer screen. Sometimes you see something on there and you say, I wish I could actually go there and see that myself. It is so amazing. It evokes that kind of wonder in our lives. I'm sorry for those of you who are Apple uh, people. It's an ordered universe. It's understandable. This is the foundation of the hard sciences that we have. Science describes what has happened in the past and then can predict that it will happen in the future. It can measure, 
It can categorize, it can describe, it can even predict and make sense of this incredibly complex and wonderful world as far as we can see out into the reaches of the universe and as small as the tiniest particle of the atom, but it can't tell us why things are so ordered. Take gravity, for instance. We depend on it. The whole universe depends on it. If gravity were not there, everything would be total chaos. We can tell you how fast something will fall on any heavenly body that there is in the universe, but we can't tell you why it is. To say that there's no cause for gravity is a faith statement, a religious statement even by those who reject religion. But clearly God tells us how the world was created by the power of God's word. God speaks things into existence, and there is enormous power in this. Psalm 33 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Not only did he create everything originally, but he created it all good, meaning pleasing in his sight, worthy of pointing to its creator, its God, its good and powerful creator. And then Genesis 1 maps out six days of creation. And over the years, Christians have understood these six days in different ways. I'm just going to give you a quick summary of some of those ways that there are. Six days could just mean a literal six days, 24-hour days in which God creates all of creation. There is others who have looked at it and said, well, there are six of God's days, or there are six ages, or there are six days uh, that correspond to something like the day of the Lord. They're metaphorical. There are those who look at the creation story and say, you know, this is a very poetic type of story. You see all these refrains that are happening. And God said, let there be. And there was. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the next day. And that if you look at the three days at the beginning, you can see that they're filled by the three days after that. There are some who say that there is evolution in the world, but God It's not a purposeless evolution. God designs it and directs it so that it brings about what he wants in the world. The only thing that is absolutely not open to us is secular evolution, that evolution simply happens by chance, which is really nothing, no power at all. And it has no intention, they say, that survival is of the fittest, and yet we know this is not at all God's character. God is not one who believes in the survival of the fittest. It's good to study these different views, and it's important for us to think about them in our own lives and figure out what is most biblically correct for us. But more importantly, the creation story in Scripture is primarily concerned with meaning for our lives, understanding who we are. It's not anti-science, but neither is it intended to be a scientific explanation. And here's the basic message that Moses was teaching the Israelites 
in the desert of Sinai. Here's what we struggle with when we think about it and what other people struggle with when we think about a creator. And that is that God created everything and therefore everything is accountable to him. God is the inventor. The inventor. We are the invention. God is the artist. We are the works of art. God is the creator. We are the creatures. He determines our purpose. He determines our function, our reason for life. Sin, let me give you another definition of sin. Sin is ultimately refusing to accept God's purpose for us, God as our creator, a desire to ignore his claim on our lives. Romans 1, Paul talks about these, this accountability that we have to him. For what can be known about God is plain to them, and he's talking about the people of old, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and anything else you can imagine that becomes more important to us than God himself. But he has told us what our basic purpose is in the creation story. And this is what he says. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the uniqueness of humanity, that we are made in the image of God, both men and women completely in the image of God. No other creature is spoken about in this way. In fact, God goes through the whole creation story from the beginning until he gets to the end of the sixth day and creates us as the climax of all of creation. Humanity, made in God's image. We reflect him, but we are not him. Our creativity, as I said earlier, only combines the elements that he has made out of nothing. Our reasonableness, our ordering of life, our emotions, our sense of purpose, these all reflect our creator. And moreover, he puts us in charge of creation. And this is sometimes referred to in theology as the cultural mandate. He tells us to rule the creation, to order life, our lives, and the lives of all the world around us. Ruling as he rules, not arbitrarily, not selfishly, but with respect for the creation. Stewarding the creation 
just as he would, rather than exploiting it for our own good, our own economic benefit. We are the priests of this created temple that God has made, representing him and mediating before him all the rest of the creation. And he relates to us personally. He speaks to us like nothing else that he speaks in creation. He tells us to multiply, to become diverse, to become spread over the world. And yet we have this same shared purpose no matter where we are. So practically the cultural mandate demands our respect for all others, for all races, for all people who speak different tongues, for the young who are still in the mother's womb, for those who are old and really can do very little by themselves anymore, for the widow, for the orphan, for the defenseless, for the oppressed, for those who can't care for themselves, because we are to reflect God's goodness, because he is a good creator. He's not simply powerful, but he's good as well. We get a hint of this in chapter 2 in Genesis, as he talks about creating this place to put the first human, Adam. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So what do we see in these words? We see a caring God, a loving father. We see tender pictures of a gardener, a farmer, an arborist, a vine dresser, one who is preparing a place for us to be. There's provision for water. And then graphically, he breathes the breath of life into our lungs so that we become living beings. He plants a garden where we have everything that we need. And he continues to provide food in that garden and then speaks to us and dwells with us there in the garden together. He not only creates, he's actively providing and sustaining in this world. John Calvin says, if God should but withhold his hand just a little, all things would immediately perish and dissolve into nothing. But here's a more descriptive Paragraph from G.K. Chesterton. He says this, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. 
but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may may be that he is the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. God also sustains us in our relationships, our social relationships with one another, because God is a social grouping himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We reflect God's image in the way that we relate to one another. Even the need to be in relationship with one another. So when we feel lonely, there's actually something to that. We shouldn't feel lonely. There's something wrong. Because God has made us for relationship. And he also lives in a social grouping himself. And just as the persons of the Trinity are complementary in role and function, so are we. God makes us complementary with one another. And so he makes us man and and, and woman, both in his image. But he also gives us different giftings, different personalities, different characteristics. And it's the diversity all together that reflects him more fully than we can possibly do on our own, because it's in our togetherness and all this diversity that we reflect, we reflect him. So you may be asking, okay, where is Jesus in all of this? Is, isn't this just the work of the Father? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says to us, the Spirit hovers over the waters. And in verse 26, we're also reminded that God makes humanity in our image, in our likeness, referring to the Trinity, referring to the persons of the Trinity. In the New Testament, we see more clearly that Jesus was the agent of creation, God's word that brings everything into being. So Paul writes these words, he is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus here, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things continue to hold together. Or listen to these words in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that word is the Son of God, Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, John goes on further after this and tells us that something went terribly wrong. That those who were made by him no longer recognized who he was anymore. And in our natural selves, we rebel against the creator who made us. We don't recognize him and we put something else up there in his place. We die and we were never intended to die. We exploit one another and we exploit the creation, a role that we were never assigned So Jesus takes on human life, human flesh, 
to point to the Father, to remind us of who our Creator is, and to take sin upon Himself so that He dies on the cross in our place, so that He dies in the place that we deserve to die. And so Jesus is not only the agent of creation, He's the agent of restoration. He's the agent of recreation. By faith in Him, and He invites us to trust Him, by faith in Him, the original agent of creation, we become a new creation and we become fit for the new heavens and the new earth. And I would say to you this morning that if you haven't placed your faith in this one who not only created in the very beginning but is yet to recreate everything, this is the time to do it. To recognize the one who made you, the one that gives you meaning in your life, the proper meaning that we were always in intended to have, the thriving that we were always intended to have in our lives. Uh, Unfortunately, we're stuck with the creation and the rest of the story gets told through the next weeks ahead of us. But we pray that God will help us to see the creator as he is and the agent of creation who makes the new heavens and the earth. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you tell us where we come from and where we are going. That you are the one that puts us in our proper place. You're the one that tells us how we can thrive. You're the one that shows us the way forward even after we're broken in this broken creation. And that you will again remake us in Jesus as we trust in him. Lord, give us hearts that seek to pursue him and seek to honor you as the good and powerful creator who made us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.